This morning we continue this uh, look across all of the Gospels from the birth of Jesus where we started in January to May will end up to the birth of his kingdom in the church, uh, the birth of the church. Uh, as you find this text, let me remind you this afternoon for women, this uh, seminar and gathering, Women of the Word with Janice um, Personair. I'm really excited to see a number of Bible study things springing up. Uh, this one, uh, Pastor Aaron and I will be doing some things on Wednesday night, uh, helping people develop Bible study skills. Uh, the Sensible Shoes groups have learned a lot about Lexio Divino. There's great opportunities to learn how to dig into the Scripture and the Word of God. This afternoon will be one for women. Also, the All Hardwike meeting on Monday evening, uh, there'll be information and updates, graphs, summaries, uh, question and answer. You know, we ended 2019 with our financial nose above water. That's better than being below surface. But we also took some, uh, I think, important st steps to lay a good foundation for a new year of fruitful ministry. We reduced the 2020 budget by 12% from 2019. Uh, we've done some more realistic planning, adjusted staff and workloads and all of that sort of stuff. So this is part of what we want to do on a quarterly basis to keep folks informed. And I'm hopeful uh, sometime after that over in the next couple of weeks to find a way within celebration just ourselves to do, maybe you'd call it a focus group. I want to find a way to gather with folks. I need two things in particular. One is feedback and perspective. You know, there's some things and opportunities we have that are just bigger than me. And so I want to figure out as a body how we have that sort of input and then some uh, help implementing. Here's an example, one out of a long list. Um, I would really like to set aside a week where I could meet in eight or ten homes, small groups, maybe a restaurant, maybe Freedom Village, but meet with small clusters of celebration people and have coffee and not quiz you or test you or judge you, but certainly to hear your voice and share and to speak. I don't know what we'd call those. I don't know how do we do those. So we've got some things like that that I'm interested to do over the next year. And we're just going to need to open up the input I can get and the uh, help that I can get in pulling these things off. So good things planned. Um, my Q&A will meet later this afternoon. Uh, right after the worship service, so do be a part of that. And uh, pray for Mary Lynn and I. We're going to take an opportunity tomorrow and head to South Carolina to spend the week with my mom. I'll be back by next Sunday. But um, if you give me a call, I'll answer the phone from the pool. So <laughs> I love you, but I'm going to take a chance and see my mother. <laughs> oh, I'm glad y'all laughed. You know, every now and then you'd try one like that and they go, oh, really? Jeepers. Uh, the scripture in our lectionary series is from Matthew 5. Um, remember how we got here. We've seen the birth of Jesus. Um, he was baptized. John identified him. And this is kind of his inaugural stump speech, if you will. This sets off the mission of the kingdom. 
Hear the word of God in Matthew chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said this, Oh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God himself. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice in that case and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do give you thanks that centuries ago you took a tax collector named Matthew And as he was called into the inner circle of discipleship with the Lord Jesus, he watched, he was impacted, he remembered. And then a few decades later, he wrote. And your Holy Spirit was at work through all of that. And your Holy Spirit has been involved to take what he wrote, to carefully preserve those texts so that now we can open them. And we sort of like Matthew on that mountain, can gather around and hear the words of Jesus. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would finish the work by illuminating our hearts and minds to receive what it is you have. Thank you that you are capable of guarding your people from my brokenness and distraction and sin and by making Jesus clear. Thank you that we've gathered together to sit at your feet. Be with us this day, for we make our prayer in the marvelous name of the one who gave his life for us, that is Jesus. Amen and amen. I'll let you know kind of where we're going in these 12 verses. The first thing I want to do is kind of rethink this term blessed. Clue here, when I say bless up, uh, break up this word. This is the word we need to rethink. And that we'll do that by pondering the larger context. I'll demonstrate some Bible study skills as you see that. And then the big question we need to ask, and the real blessing is, how do you fill in that blank? But I want to begin this morning by telling you a little bit about a friend uh, of Mary Lynn and mine. Her name is Elizabeth Smith. She grew up in Louisiana. Her dad was a doctor in Alexandria, the community we were last serving. Her mom was a stay-at-home mom who homeschooled her kids. Elizabeth was the youngest of all those children, so she was the caboose, and she got to have all the fun as her older brothers and sisters were taught and learned. And by the time she finished high school, she had decided... I don't think I'm going to go to college. I'm going to start a little business. She started being a 
piano teacher. And I want to work with the children's ministry because I love kids. And I'll work with the youth ministry. And I'll just, she stayed busy, fruitful, and productive. And so here's Elizabeth, this attractive, compelling, energetic, self-educating uh, kind of young woman. And one of the things deep in her heart was she wanted to meet the right guy and raise a family, very close to her. And she was the kind of guy, I didn't float this by Mary Lynn, but Elizabeth was kind of always, oh, how do you say, out there. I could picture her, I never know if she did this, but she'd be the kind of young woman who'd say, husband, why don't we have some babies and start a basketball team and we can travel all over the country. She was just full of fun and energy and all sorts of things. And so she pursued life. And at 18, it was great. And at 20, it was great. And at 22, she really hadn't come across any guys that kind of fit the bill. But she said, you know, I want to keep Jesus first. He's been my hope. And that worked at 22 and 24. And she decided to kind of keep Jesus first in her life. And there came a point where she kind of had to say, doesn't look like Mr. Wright is showing up. So I'm going to wait and continue to be faithful. But in the midst of that, she was involved in a missions conference that our church did. And she sensed a deep and clear calling to international missions. And she could build relationships. She was very self-motivated. She had a lot of these particular gifts and abilities that she could just function in all kinds of things. So she started to do that, and she pursued international missions. It was kind of the death of one dream, but God gave her a new purpose in life. Now, that's a blessing, isn't it? If you've ever struggled, kind of, as some of you may have kids who took the six-year college plan, they keep kind of struggling to figure out. It's a blessing to have a purpose in life, and Elizabeth had this now. And so we interviewed him, the denomination I'm a part of, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And because our focus is on a church planting and evangelistic ministries among unreached Muslim people groups around the world, we wanted to kind of train her and test her and give her a sense of what it would be like to live with Muslims. And so we had her move to Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is one of the best places on planet Earth to encounter a large number of different Muslim cultures. And you know what? When we dropped her into a training program there, she thrived and flourished. And it was great for her. She'd had to die to a dream, but there was a blessing in discovering a whole new purpose. And you know what else happened in that training program in Ypsilanti? Greg. She met Greg. And at first she was, uh, well, I thought I had a purpose in life, and now I've got this. And he'd given up, and, but here God had brought, and I want to tell you, that's a blessing. So they eventually sensed that God was not only calling them to international missions, but calling them to life together. So Greg actually moved into our house for a little while and preparing for their wedding. We, we don't often move in every groom before the wedding, but Mary Lynn worked with Elizabeth and I worked with Greg as we worked through this World Harvest Mission discipling program, really helping them use their time well, get deeper, and they were married. It's been marvelous. They're now 
overseas doing what, what you'd observe is uh, social services. They work with refugees in a Middle Eastern country that are leaving another war-torn place. They provide food and education. They oversee programs to help uh, parent. Many of these are broken families. Uh, his husbands have been killed. There's traumatized children. And in the course of that, they're seeing these Muslim refugees come to faith in Christ leave Islam, get baptized as Christians. And so they're also helping those people live within the refugee communities and plant churches. I tell you, friends, we are seeing more Muslims leave Islam and come to faith in Christ in the past 13 years than in the previous 13 centuries. Greg and Elizabeth are in the middle of that. It's extraordinary. Here they are. They also get to see the world, which is just what Elizabeth would want to do. So they've been deeply blessed. And guess what? This is Joy, born about a week ago. And here's what she says. Hermione Joy Mook was born 5.09 local time on January 23rd and was about 8 pounds, 19.5 inches. Mom and baby and dad, Greg is writing this, are all doing well and adjusting to new life together at home. Thank you, everyone, for your prayers. We are all happy together. Now, I'm not going to tell you what city they're in, but I will tell you that if you follow the news, well, Joy was being born. There were riots in the streets and gunfire. And it looks like this city is about to descend into anarchy and lawlessness as it collapses. Elizabeth had to die to a dream and then received a blessing and then a blessing upon a blessing and then a blessing upon a blessing upon a blessing. But let's rethink this word blessing. Could you hear Jesus said, blessed are you, for your first child will be born in a war zone. Is that a blessing? Ponder that for a moment. Imagine what her mom and dad, my friends Greg and Melinda, who I know them well enough to guarantee that they're supportive and they're taking a deep breath right now as well. Is it really a blessing for me to be overseas and my first child born in a war zone? We need to rethink the word blessing. And if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying in this text, we need to step back and figure some things out because, friends, I want to tell you something. We live in the United States, and I struggle with it myself. It's in the air we breathe. We tend to think of blessings equal to things. Look, I've been blessed with this house. I've been blessed with this situation. Oh, having been unemployed for a season, having steady work is a blessing. It's easy for us to think about blessings as things, and let's be honest, things that we want. Our world is inundated by a self-oriented cultivation of desire to find our identity and our hope and our security in things. Oh, if I just had a little better this or a little better that, 
If my relationships were right, if my circumstances were better, everything would be good. Now, I'm not going to dwell on this long, but part of the reason we are inundated and washed over with this is because there are what I would call undetected theologies in our world. I've mentioned before moralistic therapeutic deism. I've blogged about it. You can read about it on the internet. But in a nutshell, about 20 years ago, a researcher, a professor at the University of North Carolina interviewed thousands of American teenagers. And he didn't ask them, what did you believe? But they had a structured interview of about two or three hours to ask, how would you respond to this? What are the values? And what they discovered was that there was a deep set of coherent values and beliefs. And they named it moralistic therapeutic deism. It goes kind of like this. There is a God. He wants everybody to be nice to each other. He's there when you need him. And he won't interfere with your life when you don't want him. And they found that moralistic therapeutic deism pervaded church kids, unchurched kids, the kids in our youth groups. I had to work with my youth staff when that, his book came out and said, you know, whatever we're doing, this is what most of them are getting. It's the undetected theology. There's a prosperity theology that seems unique in the history, the 20th century history of the church, rooted here in the United States. The power of positive thinking, Norman Vincent Peale, don't need a savior if you'll get your mind right. 70s and 80s, when I started ministry, the name's Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland. Now the popular folks, Joel Osteen, Paula White. If you've got money and you've got good health, that's what God gives. That stuff pervades our thinking. Blessings equal things, and particularly things that we want this afternoon, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl, and about every three minutes, somebody's going to come on and say, I'll let you watch the Super Bowl because I want a chance to try to sell you what you don't need. Do you watch advertising and realize that they're willing to give you whatever you're watching for the chance to try to take what you don't need and think that you can't live without it? So here's Jesus. Now, remember how he got here. We, we saw in the first two chapters of Matthew, the story of his birth, how he fulfilled Old Testament prophecy, prophecy. This is God at work. And then he meets John the Baptist who says, Lamb of God. He gets baptized. He's identified again. He's great fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In chapter 4, he's tested in the wilderness for a right understanding and application of the Old Testament. He begins preaching. We saw that last week. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's begun to call his first disciples. And already with a big following, he pulls the disciples aside. Now, this is probably a pretty fluid group right now. Later on in chapter 10 of Matthew, he'll name the 12 who become the disciples and the apostles. So there may be these folks in those 12. There may be some more. It's, it's kind of fluid. He hadn't yet named them. But they want to know closer what Jesus has to say. And so he brings them up on the mountain and he begins to say, blessings look like this. Blessings look like this. Blessed are you. And we need to rethink what that word blessings means. 
if we're really going to understand that. Now, sometimes what you do is a word study, but I don't want to do that. I don't know that it's really that helpful. What really helped me was stepping back and, as it were, in my mind's eye, to sit with those disciples on the mountain and to think about what is he saying and how does that impact me and the people I'm with. I, you'd call this looking at the larger context. So I wanted to look at the people that were listening to Jesus here in this passage. And the first thing he says after he gathers them is, blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, 3. Now, one of the people who was there, it's very clear because it's stated right at the end of verse 4, is Simon Peter. And last week, I as we unpack the calling of Peter, I wanted you to see that he was not a sport fisherman. You know, when Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men, it's not about baiting the hook, throwing it out and reeling them in. I really see that Peter was a small businessman. I call this small aquatic harvesting business. He knew how to make decisions. He knew how to maintain a staff and maintain equipment to save so that when the harvest is not so good, you can keep feeding your family. I can picture Peter there. He's now kind of drawn to Jesus. He's heard him over a period of time. Jesus said, come and follow me. I can picture in the back of Peter's mind, he wants to follow Jesus, but he's also thinking, if we could get the fish sandwich concession here, I might could hire my brother-in-law. He's that sort of guy. So Peter starts to follow Jesus, and he hears Jesus say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want to suggest to you something, friends. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What Peter's going to experience is nothing that any small business person is looking for. Think about Peter's life. John 18, verse 26. This is at the death after Jesus died and been raised. Jesus promises him that you will be led where you don't want to go. Peter's used to leading. And there's going to come a time where Jesus tells him, you're going to be led where you don't want to go. A little earlier in John 18... Peter, who has said just earlier that night, I'll never abandon you, abandons Jesus for the third time. Peter's had to face that he can't live up to his own commitments. What small businessman do you know who doesn't want to live as if my word is my bond? That got blown up for Peter. Acts 10, Peter's going to have to eat with unclean people. This is the vision that Peter had and Cornelius, the Roman centurion, that brings them together. And Peter's going to say, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or to even visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter's going to have his traditions and comfort zones altered. And after this, In Galatians 2, Paul records publicly confronting Peter. Listen to Galatians 2, 14. 
Paul writes, when I saw that those folks, Peter and his friends, were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to him in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Any of you enjoy being called out in public? This is what Peter experiences. And like I say, I want to tell you something. This is a vibrant, strong, decisive, productive, small business person. And he's hearing Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit. One of the commentators, Frank, uh, Frederick Bruner that I read, so powerful. Jesus wishes to say that those who have reached bottom spiritually, emotionally, and psychically too, who cannot live without God's supernatural help and miraculous intervention, that's what it means, poor in the spirit. One thinks, he writes, of the first two affirmations of Alcoholics Anonymous. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. See, when you get to that point, Then you're ready for step two. We came to be aware that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So here's this small business person, successful, capable, being told that the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. Oh no, that's not me. I'm not looking for that. Peter need to have his understanding of blessings adjusted. How about his brother, who was also there, it's clear. His brother, Andrew, helped him come and meet Jesus. And then you read, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, Peter would eventually be one of the inner three. Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, would be with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was always calling those three a little closer. So get this, folks. Andrew introduces his brother to Jesus. Jesus seems to pass over Andrew and focus on Peter. Do you think there are any heart issues going there? Everybody always likes my brother more than me. He gets chances that I don't. I was first. Why him and not me? You know, Andrew wasn't looking for any heart issues, but there they are. Blessed are the pure in heart. Later on, Jesus will talk about forgiveness. Think there are any family issues going on between two competitive brothers? We work together, but he's preferred. My favorite that may well have been there, he's not named as a disciple until a little bit later, but he would have heard similar teaching because Jesus kept hammering this thing. But my favorite is Simon the Zealot. Imagine him hearing the Sermon on the Mount for the first time. Now, this guy is a zealot. Think gorilla. And I don't mean G-O-R, I mean G-U-E. He was committed to armed insurrection against the authorities, the Roman authorities. He wanted military overthrow. And he reads, blessed are the meek. If by meek you mean my sword, your neck, I'm with you. So here is this guerrilla fighter committed to political overthrow, 
being drawn into relationship with Jesus, and Jesus redefines blessedness as meekness? Give me a break, Jesus would say. Open up and discover here, Simon, Andrew, Peter, Bill. Open up and discover that the real blessing that God has for us is not simply more things that we want. The real blessing is a living experience with the real Jesus. That's what all those disciples would eventually go away with and face and stick to. They would let every understanding of blessing that they brought to the Sermon on the Mount get washed away and instead live with a real experience of the real Jesus. Have you ever tried to dig into history and see how those folks who were at the Sermon on the Mount, how they died? Peter, small businessman, blessed are the poor in spirit. Apparently, and the the history behind this is really kind of thin for all these guys. The scripture doesn't record it, but if we dig through history, apparently Peter was hung upside down and nailed to a cross, crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die like his Savior. How do you get from point A to point B? Andrew preached around, but again, he was crucified, tied upside down on an X-shaped cross from where he preached for two days before he finally died. His heart had been changed. Simon the Zealot fascinates me. Now, this is a guy committed to armed insurrection. He follows Jesus. He gets his vision of what it means to be blessed, gets turned upside down, and he becomes the second bishop of Jerusalem after the first one was murdered. How do you like that job? I'm going to follow in the footsteps. And it turns out, again, the history is a little thin. He is said to have been crucified in Samaria, or perhaps he was axed to death in Persia. How do you get from sitting with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount? You come with all your background, small business, political zealot, and you're told you're going to be blessed if you follow him, and you die that way. Let that settle in on you, because that's part of the challenge we need to, to face. Friends, the blessing is a living experience with the real Jesus. Now, I want to be clear about something. I am not advocating denial. I'm not encouraging you to be presumptuous. I'm not saying go get hurt and you'll meet Jesus. But what I am saying is that there'll be moments where in following Jesus, it's pretty risky. It's kind of costly. It's different than you expected, but Jesus will be worth it. I'm not encouraging denial. Friends, pain is real and it hurts. But I do want you to see that we can't understand what Jesus is saying to these guys unless our 
understanding of blessing gets blown up and reordered. Pain and suffering is real, but God himself is greater. It's not about denial. What I am saying, and I want to leave this up for a little while, is Jesus is bigger. Don't be presumptuous. In the EPC, we have an evacuation plan for Greg and Elizabeth and Joy. It doesn't depend on the State Department or the Marine Corps. If it looks dangerous, we've got an independent way to move them to a neutral, safe location within 24 hours. That's part of our commitment with them. Now, sometimes it doesn't work. Andrew Brunson spent two years in a Turkish jail. It can be tough, friends. It can be tough. But this is the good news, and I want you to kind of let it settle in, that following Jesus may be filled with surprises, but it'll be good. He may have to reshape some things for you, but it will be worth it. I began to kind of rewrite some of these beatitudes in in, in light of this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Boy, not many people want to preach that. Blessed are you when you're persecuted, when they're persecuted. I've been blessed with a new house and a great car. See the challenge we wrestle with? It's as if Jesus would say to Peter, blessings on you, Peter, for when you get to the end of your rope, you will find security in me. But it takes getting to the end of your rope. It's as if he would say directly to Simon the Zealot, blessings on those whose political convictions and agenda have completely collapsed and are proven totally worthless. Yes, blessings on you, Simon, for you will serve in the kingdom of the living God. There's a biblical character. Do you remember the story of Job? Here's Job, a great and righteous man. And apparently, the scripture is clear that Satan takes aim at him. It affects his property. It affects his family. His wife gives up on him. He's got friends who show up to give him counsel. And, you know, uh, Pastor Aaron pointed out that his friends gave him great counsel for days. And then they opened their mouth and started to talk. Imagine the heartache. It's as if, if if Job could move through history and sit on that mountain with Jesus, it's as if Jesus would say, blessings on you. When your property and beloved children are all swept away and your wife gives up on life and you're covered with boils, all because Satan himself is wreaking havoc on you. Yes, blessings on you, Job, because you will wrestle with the meaning of life and suffering and your life will become a testimony. In the end, you will see me. That's when Job found his answer. Not that he had a philosophical system that would settle the problem of suffering. He saw God, is what the scripture says. And he heard the voice. And all was restored with more besides. I had to read these Beatitudes kind of for myself. Blessings on you when your leg is shattered playing high school football and life as you know it ends. Blessings on you, Bill, for you'll get to learn about true life. Blessings on you when your job is taken away. (laughs) Blessings on you, Bill, because 
You'll learn that I can provide for you and your family. Your daughter's a freshman. Your two teenagers who are wondering, why would dad want to be a pastor? I can provide for you and for them. And you're a deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great creator king, whether you're leading a growing church or cleaning a self-serve car wash. For middle school students with a smartphone, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. Blessed are you when you stand up and tell the circle of your friends, no, I'm not going to talk about this other person by attacking, humiliating, and running them down. I'm not going to be part of the bullying that happens. Blessings on you, Jesus would say, for you will discover that you are never alone and I will be with you, even as others turn against you like sharks in a feeding frenzy. Friends, I want my kids to know that when life turns hard, because it will, it's a sin-sick and broken planet. I want my kids to know that when life turns hard, that can be a moment to run towards God, not away from Him. A moment in the tears when the love of Jesus can get more real and bigger and stronger than I would ever imagined. Have you read what Jesus says about forgiveness in the Sermon on the Mount? It's crazy. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, if somebody's got something against me, I'm a pastor. Leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus says, love your enemies. Well, not those enemies. How about in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Well, they haven't asked for forgiveness. They haven't apologized. They don't know what it cost me. But Jesus says, if you do not forgive others, their sin your Father will not. Was that word not? Forgive your sins? Would Jesus say blessings on you for forgiving those who have hurt you? Especially when those people were never willing to apologize or to recognize your pain or to make up for the damage they did? Blessings on you, says Jesus, for you'll understand what it means to be forgiven. And you'll break the cycle of revenge. You'll receive from me more than what was taken from you. And you can live with a freedom and with a joy, with, no matter what the circumstances. Friends, be blessed because Jesus is the blesser. Let's, to close, uh, I'm sorry. We had a, you'll find on your sermon outline right at the end a little prayer. You may want to take this home and kind of let this move into you. The real blessing is this. Blessings on you, fill in your name. When and what is your worst fear? What is the thing you cannot manage to do? Fill that in. For you will have, you know, if you work in the way of the world, I don't know what you'll have. Just fill that in at home and let the Holy Spirit speak. I'm going to read to you just a closing paragraph, a picture. 
This is from the book that I've worked through with a, a men's group I'm a part of. This is Wednesday's reading. It was obvious what was happening, but not to him. What he was trying to do would never work. I was his gardener, and I was at the base of his property near the entrance when he drove in with yet another new car. I'd seen him do this same thing time again and again. In fact, he was quickly running out of room, even on this estate. As he hopped out of his expensive new toy, he asked me what I thought. I said, I don't think it's working. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. It's a brand new car. I said, this is the gardener. I said, I think what you're trying to do will never work. He said, I have no idea what you're trying to say to me. I asked, how many cars is it going to take before you realize that an automobile has no capacity whatsoever to satisfy your heart? Disappointed, he said, boy, you are raining on my parade. I was, but it was a gospel moment where the Holy Spirit could take someone's understanding of what it means to be blessed, reshape it in light of what God has given us at the cross, and send us out to the world with great news that can never be taken away. Let's pray. Jesus. I thank you that you have blessed us, and thank you that many times that blessing is the joy of life with our kids or family. It's the beauty of a January day with blue sky in Michigan. Goodness. It's the chance to sit down to a great meal. We thank you for that. For Every good gift is from you, but we know that there is an ultimate gift that's greater and bigger so that even when those things disappear because of health or economic downturn or of social upheaval, that even if those things disappear, what you have done for us and offered from the cross is ours by your grace. Fill our hearts and minds with the fullness of the love of Jesus that we might be secure in that, that we might be free to enjoy what's enjoyable and strong to face whatever else may come our way to the end, that we may walk with you in the coming kingdom of your grace. Even now, Father, help us live the fullness of this vision. Be our vision. For we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen.